Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Eliezer is currently writing the final arc of Methods of Rationality. I wish to bring you a Methods of Rationality fanfic written by Alexander Wales. I want to make it extremely clear that this is not canon. It is not part of the Methods of Rationality story and has no relation to events in that universe. I present to you... Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Zombie, written by Alexander Wales, read by Ineos Brodsky, based on the works of Eliezer Yudkowsky. Part 2 They walked down the corridors of the castle in silence. Hermione's ghost didn't walk, but instead floated, with her hair waving behind her and her feet pointed toward the floor. She hadn't done that before, and Harry momentarily worried that it meant she was becoming more ghost-like before his eyes. He desperately wanted her to stay as she was, the best companion he could have hoped for in his time at Hogwarts. You're floating. You were walking before. Dumbledore turned to look between the two of them, but kept moving all the same. You would float too if you could. Harry had to admit that it was true. They reached the spiral staircase, and Dumbledore said the password, Cockroach Clusters, which was another kind of sweet. It was terrible security. Harry had a letter in his mokeskin pouch that contained a list of every kind of sweet. The letter was a howler, a type of magical letter that said things when it opened up, and it had only taken half a day to figure out how to get it to say those things really fast. If Harry ever wanted or needed to get into the headmaster's office, it would be as simple as opening the howler and having it iterate through the list. Of course, there might be other forms of security to get past, but it paid to have such a weapon in his arsenal. Harry sat down in the overstuffed chair in front of the headmaster's desk, and Hermione stood behind him. I had feared you would become a ghost, said Dumbledore to Hermione in a low and heartbroken voice. Ghosts form most often from those afraid of death, and your friendship with Harry Potter would seem to have provoked that fear in you. Hermione lowered her head, feeling the sting of being chastised even from beyond the grave. I have failed you in more ways than one. Headmaster, why didn't you tell me that ghosts were like this? Dumbledore raised his eyebrows. You and I had a conversation long ago on the nature of souls. You quoted Featherbottom to me, and I assumed that you had made up your mind on the matter of ghosts. As I recall, we moved on to much firmer evidence, the veil of souls, chief among them, and you rejected that evidence as well. I have not often found that arguing against someone who has made up their mind to be good practice, as it tends to only firm their opposition. Harry glowered at him. And why was I never told that there's evidence that muggles don't have souls? That wasn't technically true. He'd been told by Draco and simply assumed that it was blood-purest idiocy without a shred of evidence to back it up. I shall have to speak with Madame Pomfrey about what's appropriate to say to children. There are competing theories on the matter. Some say that muggles have no souls, 
while others contend that it is simply a matter of the way that wizards interact with magic, and that muggles have an immortal soul, which continues on just the same, without being seen or felt, a position that I regularly take in the wizengamot. If I put a polyjuiced muggle into an MRI machine, what would I see? A muggle device, I presume. A magnetic resonance imaging machine. It's used to look at someone's brain. You can map out changes in the brain on a coarse level. Ah, I have not tried it myself. But my experience with any magi would suggest that their brain would change along with their body. Harry, how did you think that an animagi was able to continue to think if souls did not exist? It is only through the will of the person's soul that the animal form can think and act as a person would. I thought... He stopped to think for a moment. I thought that perhaps the brain was shrunken down in size and rewired to provide the same response to stimulus. Do you realize what an extraordinarily complicated bit of magic you propose? You're already turning people into cats! A cat is a known form, and thus much easier to work with than the hybrid that you propose. Polyjuice potion is extraordinarily expensive and difficult to create. And you believe that on top of changing one person into another, it leaves the brain as a constant? He shook his head sadly. I sometimes forget that you are only in your first year. And then, in conversations like this, it becomes apparent. We have schools for a reason, to teach you the limits of what magic can and cannot do. Harry stared at the headmaster. So you're saying that magic keeps a fully up-to-date copy of my... of my essence, my personality, my feelings and thoughts. And if I were to drink Polyjuice Potion, magic would keep all of that going without an actual brain. He turned to look at Hermione. And that's what happened to Hermione? You put it in odd terms, but that is essentially correct. How do we fix it? There is no way to undo death. Which Harry didn't believe for a second. Can I stop being a ghost? That would be like dying all over again. If you can keep living as a ghost, why wouldn't you? It's cold. Cold and sad. I'll never grow up, never see my parents again, or have my first kiss, or get an outstanding on my owls. Ghosts can't even eat. Would you want to live like this if you could never do the things that bring you pleasure? Of course I would. That is a terrible thing to say, Harry Potter. Hermione, I am sorry, but someone who becomes a ghost stays as one forever. There are ways to motivate them or keep them contained. But once you become a ghost, you are chained to this realm forever, never to pass into the next. I'm a ghost forever? She began to cry, and Harry's heart broke just a little bit more. It's not so bad, Harry began. She turned away from him and fled from the office, going straight through a wall. 
For a moment he made to go after her, but settled down in his chair and glared at the headmaster. Souls exist. They do. And the veil that you spoke of earlier, you believe that souls pass through it into the next world? I do. You have said that it is an uninteresting fraud, I recall. But it was built with magics more powerful than those known in modern times. The veil predates the ministry itself, which was built around it to contain it. Perhaps it was a mistake to have you raised by muggles if you believe wizards to be so stupid. That proves nothing, though it did somewhat lower the odds that it was a fraud, given the trouble that someone would have to go through and the security that the veil would presumably have been under. Even if I were to accept that souls exist in some form or another, that says nothing about the existence of an afterlife. Harry turned and looked backwards in the direction that Hermione had fled. I should really go after her. He got up from his chair and turned to leave. Harry, I will not prohibit it, but nothing good can come from a continued relationship with the ghost of Miss Granger. Harry nodded, but said nothing, and continued down the stairs. When he got there, he found that Professor Quirrell was waiting for him. Somehow, he wasn't surprised. I have heard that you have been making inquiries into the nature of the soul. I was. The headmaster said some things that made me think. Oh? Do you believe in souls? Of course. It's obvious that they exist to anyone who gives it the merest thought. Perhaps I'm asking the wrong question. What exactly is a soul? It's the animating intellect, the spirit, and the essence of being. It is what exists beyond the body. Animagi, polyjuice, paintings, photographs, ghosts. All of these work on the principle of the soul. There is even legend of a dark magic which can be used to split the soul such that a wizard can survive beyond death. Harry was very quiet for a long moment. Why don't muggles have souls? Why are they different? Walk with me. Harry did, not really paying attention to where they were going. Of all the questions to ask, you ask of muggles. My parents, what does it mean that they don't have that same extra-physical personhood that wizards appear to have? They cannot think, not like you or I. They have memories, which can be obliviated or charmed away. But do you know what you see if you attempt legilimency on a muggle? Harry shook his head. You would see nothing at all. No thoughts going on behind their eyes. No animating spirit. It's like looking at a perfectly flat lake, undisturbed by wind or wave. And if you want to replace that calm surface, it's as simple as giving the slightest push. Harry shuddered and hoped that Quirrell wasn't speaking from experience. They still speak, though. They still think and dream and laugh. They've written whole treatises on the nature of philosophy. Harry suddenly wished that he'd read more of them. Empty words. 
the product of a mechanical process or electrical impulses and chemical reactions. Have you never wondered whether there was really something animating the muggles? With magic, we can look into their minds and see. Wizards have souls, and muggles do not. It is incontrovertible. Just because you can't see anything with legilimency... No, I'm sorry. That's the wrong tactic to take here. Let's say for a moment that muggles don't have souls. That there's not some extra physical identity tied to them. That doesn't mean they don't think the same as you or I. Their psychology is identical, or near enough. They behave in the same way that we do. Yet there's nothing behind their behavior. Quirrell gave Harry a strange look. Do you not see that? Perhaps you would need learning as a legilimens for yourself. But even with a pensive, the difference is clear. A muggle's memories do not take on the same biases and warpings as a wizard's do. Their memories are of crystal clarity, untainted by thought. Muggles practically invented bias! They convincingly fake bias. Harry said nothing. He was distinctly uncomfortable without having access to the same body of facts as everyone else. There were a number of books in the library about souls, though most of them were in the restricted section and Harry hadn't taken the time to look through them. He'd thought that they were just fluff, the same kind of thing that you could find in a muggle bookstore, empty speculation that was pulled from thin air. I need to gather more data. If I take the soul hypothesis as it's been presented to me, there are still a few things that don't make sense. The killing curse, for example. You said that it works on anything with a brain, and Professor McGonagall said that it works by separating the soul from the body. But muggles have brains, I'm completely sure of that. And if you were right, then the killing curse still kills them. The killing curse does two things when it strikes the body. First, it cuts the soul away from the body if one is present. Second, it immediately stops all electrical activity in the nervous system of the creature so struck. The first method is useful only against wizards, the second against nearly everything else, with a few notable exceptions such as ghosts which have no body to cut the soul away from, or nervous system to shut down. And how do you know this? You have heard of the dark wizard Grindelwald? The one Dumbledore defeated. Yes. Grindelwald had a burning curiosity within him that is common to the dark wizards. He wondered, as you did, what would happen when someone was struck by the killing curse after they'd had their soul removed. How... how do you remove a soul? How is that even possible? Something tickled at his memory, a discarded scrap of information marked as not true. Dementors. Quirrell nodded. Dementors do not act simply to inspire fear and drain happiness from people. They will plant their bony lips upon your face and you will have no urge to stop them and they will suck your soul straight from you. It was this dark magic that Grindelwald used. 
In fact, it is still used to this day as a means of execution by the Wizengamot. What's left behind is a body, brain still apparently active, and heart still beating, but utterly soulless. No memories, no thoughts, a blankness that cannot be faked or recovered from. That's terrible, Harry felt nauseous. That's nearly the most terrible thing that I can imagine. Why? Why do it that way? Why not simply kill them dead? Is it retribution? Imagine for a moment that you had seen the veil which sits at the heart of the Ministry of Magic, around which the government of Magical Britain had been built. Quirrell had something feral in his eyes. Imagine that the wizards who held control of the veil had tried certain courses of action, nothing like science, but killings directly in front of the veil to see the movement of a soul in flight. Not the wizards of today, but those of Merlin's time, perhaps. Imagine that there is this artifact which by all accounts seems to lead to the afterlife and imagine the thousand tales of what lies beyond. The Wizengamot certainly doesn't know what the next world might contain, but it surely occurred to them, as it would likely occur to you or I, that criminals pass through the veil as well. Criminals, heretics, dissidents, and dark wizards. All would have to be defeated a second time and in many cases, a second victory was not such a sure thing. If there exists a method to rid yourself of an enemy completely and forever, well, I should hardly think that they would stand on a moral high ground and not use it. They're preparing for a war. Harry felt the blood drain from his face. They're preparing for a war in the afterlife, whatever it might be. Quirrell let out a humorless laugh. Mr. Potter, what stakes did you think we've all been playing for? Harry walked to the terrace. His head was still swimming with all the things he'd been told. He had no idea where to begin with assessing their truth values, and that was only a precursor to figuring out what to do next. Yet he had to go talk to Hermione to convince her that everything was going to be all right. It was what a good friend would do. Hi, Harry, said Hermione's ghost. She floated above the clean tiles. I think I'm a ghost. Harry only nodded. He'd steeled himself against that response, but it stung all the same. He'd read up on books about dealing with ghosts, on the ways of speaking to them, and he'd special order muggle books about dealing with people who suffered from anterograde amnesia. Hermione lived on in a crippled form, but he'd restore her to life if it was the last thing he did. The day's revelations had changed little, only piled on more mysteries to solve he was still going to have to optimize the world. End Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Zombie Thank you to the following people. Dumbledore, Drake Walker.
Hermione Granger, Anonymous. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. The music used is Build That Wall from the Bastion soundtrack. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for selected essays. Strong.